You are now listening to the Peach Pundit Podcast, where we are expressing our own personal opinions. These views may not reflect the opinions of those whom we may be professionally affiliated. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Peach Pundit Podcast. I am Jason Pye, joined by the crazy people, Buzz Brockway and Scott Turner. Guys, how you doing? Yes. Man, if I'm the crazy one, I want to know who's really crazy in your friends list. Because I I feel like I'm the sane one over here. <laughs> you're crazy. You're you're crazy who tries to act like you're sane, but you're really not sane. You're really crazy. Fair. You know how I you know how I know that? Because you're a Reds fan who lives in Metro Atlanta. Well, listen, man, some things you're born into. I didn't choose that. That life chose me. I was that's where I was born. I I can't escape that. I wish at times I could. It's been thirty two years since the Reds were in a World Series. Thirty two years. Think about that for a second. However, I did learn today a very interesting fact that the Reds, the Cincinnati Reds, have the current longest World Series winning streak of any team in the major leagues at nine games. Huh. And that the last time the Reds lost a World Series game was 1975 and Carlton Fisk hit the walk-off home run in Boston. <laughs> so before I was born, in my life, the Reds have never lost a World Series game. That's all I'm going to say. Buzz, it's been, <clears throat> it has been a week since the now infamous episode, Did Mrs. Brockway Rinse Your Mouth Out With Soap? Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm in trouble and I'm... You know, I'm only just now emerging from the doghouse. <laughs> I've, I've recommitted myself to not using crude language anymore, and I've not Googled anything to do with Stacey Abrams all week. <laughs> but it's, I, I think we—I I, don't—I think we might have all gotten some feedback on on that that episode. And the the one one funny thing I got was I had a, one of our Patreons texted me and said, I, "You know, I, I was debating whether to listen to the podcast before while I was packing for for a road trip or while I was driving on the road trip." And he's like, "Thank God I was not driving seventy miles an hour down the interstate when I heard Buzz and what he said." <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm glad too. We don't. I don't want anybody to be injured by anything that I have to say. <laughs> well, I, I, a state representative had the same exact reaction. He was driving when listening to it, and he said he had to pull off the side of the road from wrecking his truck. So. No, I, I was actually thinking about this. I was actually thinking about this, like as a you know post mortem of our podcast, as as I occasionally do. And I was like, you know, I've known Buzz for like 15, 16 years, and I don't know that I've ever heard him use profanity. No, no. I, I actually prayed for him to be able to repent that night and that he would find Jesus. <laughs> well, I need I need Jesus, that's for sure. Buzz, I didn't pray for you at all, but that's that's mostly because I don't pray. So there's that. <laughs> well, so. The, the good news out of all of this is that it tripled the number of people who listened to our podcast. <laughs> the word got out. Well, we're, we're going to have to find another way to grow listenership without me using, <laughs> speaking crudely. But the market demands it, Buzz. The market demands when, when Scott, when Scott, when, when Scott and I do it, nobody gives a damn. 
But when you do it, it's like the invisible hand that Adam Smith talked about is, is you know, coach. I was moved. Well, I was moved. It would, it would just feel like cheap tricks to try to, you know, cheap tricks to try to get clicks. And hey, that, uh, that's, listen, you know, it's not my style. It's not my brand. Give me the clicks, Buzz. Don't deny me my clicks, Buzz. Don't deny me my clicks. <laughs> well, we have we have a lot of stuff to discuss tonight, and I mean, this is this is we're a week away. Well, not even a week. We're what six days, five five or six days, uh, depending on when this actually goes live from the midterm election. You know, we were texting earlier today, and I was just like, guys, you know, it's the the it, the last two weeks. You've seen the shift, and the in the past week especially, you have seen the shift. And I will caveat this by saying, like, I really don't know what to expect. But if the polls in the media are to be believed, Republicans will have a red wave. Mm-hmm. Do you see? I mean, Buzz, do you see anything? Do you yeah. do you doubt that? No, I, I no, I think so. And I, you know, the question I think is: Is this going to be a historic wave, or is it just going to be a somewhat normal slapback that you always get in the second year of a of a, of a president's administration. And I, I kind of think it's going to be in between. I don't think it's going to be historic, but I think it's going to be pretty solid. And I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty solid rebuke of president Biden, of Democrats, the kinds of things that they've been doing. And, and it's because inflation, and it all has to boil down really to two issues, inflation and crime, and, or at least the perception that crime is a problem, and and yeah, as as you guys well know, in politics, perception is reality, and the perception of crime is powerful, and inflation is absolutely real. Everybody's feeling it. And there was a thing I heard last week that I might have the numbers off here, but forty percent of Americans say that they have a tr- are having trouble paying their bills every month. That's real. And that's pain. And that's pain for a lot of Americans. And the disconnect that you're seeing from the Democratic Party and most of their candidates is the New York Times article yesterday. They have spent $320 million nationwide running ads about abortion, $31 million in ads about inflation. Nobody wants to, you know, inflate, abortion is a real issue. It's an important issue for me, for millions and millions of Americans. And I'm, I'm sure it's animating some of their voters, but it's not what most Americans consider the number one or number two issue right now. Well, let me, let me go back for, for a second on, there was a, CNN had a poll today. As you guys know, I tend to watch CNN during the day, just background noise. But they, they did have a poll come out today that's that showed that inflation of the economy is I think that's fifty one percent of voters list that as their top concern. Jeez, old Pete. Yeah, yeah. J- abortion was third on the list, I believe, and then crime, oddly enough, was further down. It was three percent were concerned huh. about crime. So you know, crime, you know, Republicans are focusing on crime, and I'll circle back to crime in a second because I want to talk about the National Criminal Crime Victimization Survey. But Scott, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, what I was going to say is dovetail off of what Buzz was talking about is that the Democrats have made this an abortion debate. This entire election is about Dobbs and the Supreme Court decision and whether or not states or the federal government should have domain over abortion law. And they've been talking about codifying Roe v. Wade at the federal level and, and 
we have a candidate right here in Georgia who's running for, oddly enough, the secretary of state on the Democrat side who's made her campaign 100 percent about abortion. She can't attack Brad Raffensperger based upon his stance on the election or running elections fairly. She is trying to pin SBO 202 as on him, even though she was in the legislature and he was not at the time. And there were certainly aspects of that bill that Brad didn't want to see, for example, taking power away from the secretary of state and giving it to the state election board is one of those things. But she's in the, in the debate just kept hammering him about abortion as if that was the issue the secretary of state has to deal with on a daily basis. And Jen Jordan, again, another candidate who has said she won't enforce the law. She was on a podcast this week where she was talking about the importance of People who are in elected office following the law to set the example. But at the same time, she's out there campaigning, saying, I won't enforce the law. And I think these are I think what is happening here is, is this issue is definitely important, as Buzz said to a lot of people. But they're going to lose on on while running on it in a way that's going to damage their cause, I think, because they've made it the cornerstone of everything else about why they should be in power at this time. And they've ignored they have ignored the most important thing to people and their policies that every policy on the on the financial side that they offer would only would only help cause inflation to go up student loan forgiveness the, those types of things would are, are not going to have a positive effect on inflation they're only going to make it worse it's interesting because i was watching among the things i saw today i was i saw a clip of, of, of congressman tim ryan who's running for senate in, in ohio against jd vance who's the republican nominee talk about two j just awful candidates but tim ryan was saying that one way that, that he wants to combat inflation is through tax cuts and I've heard some Republicans say that too, but Tim Ryan is a Democrat. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's, like, that's, a, that's, that's not a good idea at all. And, the econ and, and ordinarily, I would say, yes, tax cuts are a good idea because tax cuts you know, spur innovation. They spur investment. You know, they, they encourage people to save. But at a time when we're trying to get inflation to cool off, I don't know that a tax cut is the right way to go about it. See today's 75% you know, basis, 75 point basis point increase in, in uh, interest rates, which... You know, I think the last I saw the interest rate for buying a new home was like seven or eight percent, which is just, you know, just crazy. When I bought my first home, our interest rate was seven, six and a half percent. Yeah, these these are the highest interest rates since 2008. So I want to I want to read you guys a tweet that has since been deleted. But I read you guys a tweet from that was put out this uh, this morning from the White House or, or I guess last night from the White House. Seniors are getting the big, biggest increase in their Social Security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership. <laughs> the, the cost of living adjustment, COLA, as it's known, is, is, based on, is based on CPI. How out of touch do you need to be to make <laughs> that connection? Yeah, it's the consumer price index for that's inflation. And, and interestingly enough, Twitter did add some context to it. They said uh, readers added context they thought people might want to know. Seniors will receive a large Social Security benefit increase due to the annual cost of living adjustment, which is based on the inflation rate. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> wait, wait. Twitter fact-checked the White House? Yes, they did. Yes. Uh, I love the new Twitter. I love it. I will, I will, I will send it to you for posterity. But, but no, I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty, it's, I mean, you know, that's, that's, how tone deaf are you? Jeez, man. And 
yeah. the buzz you know, speaking of because i know you guys will accuse me of being tone deaf yeah i was <laughs> i pay attention to i pay attention to a lot of the reports that come out of of CBO, GAO, CRS, and the Bureau of Justice Statistics, BJS, one of the lesser known agencies. And we are, we're all familiar with the UCR, the Uniform Crime Reporting, basically report that comes out annually. This year, the data are worthless because only about 60% of law enforcement agencies across the country actually reported. And I don't know what, I can't remember what the specific reason is for it, but like they've changed the way that you look at the data and it's, it's awful. But the Bureau, the Bureau of Justice Statistics has has always done what we call is it's called the National Crime Victimization Survey. And what this has done, it basically they, they tend to capture crimes reported and crimes not reported. Because the UCR only collects the crimes that are reported to police. And and they do it a little differently in the fact that it's interviews and so on and so forth. And they actually found so in well well there was a 5% in violent crime, percent increase in violent crime between 2019 and 2020. The BJS National Crime Victimization Survey found a 22% decline in violent crime. Hmm. Now, is that nationwide? That's nationwide. It's fascinating. Okay. And that, and it, so and then yeah. between 2020 and 2021, it was 2020, I think it was 16.3 violent crimes per 1000 people or persons. And then in 2021, it was 16.4 violent crimes per 1,000 persons. So a, a very statistically insignificant uptick, mm -hmm. you know, one-tenth of a percentage point. It's just really, it's, it's fascinating when you, because, because I mean, we were talking about, we, we were texting about this yesterday and, and Scott and I had a, had a little tiff back and forth on. It wasn't, um, I was pushing your buttons, which is easy. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Don't make me get buzzed to say bad words. Dude, we'll get more clicks. But but the, the thing, the, the, I think the thing I'm, Buzz, you, you triggered me earlier when you were talking about crime. And yes, the perception exists for sure. Mm -hmm. But if you can go back and look at the perceptions of, of crime, even in the midst, violent crime peaked in 1991. It's been, it was on the decline pretty, pretty routinely, annually from 1991 through 2014. But there was a disconnect between mm -hmm. what people saw or between the, the data that were being reported and what people felt. And, and that's in part because of the media, it's part because of politicians. And I made the comment to you guys yesterday that you're safer walking down the street today than you were in 1991. Overwhelmingly so. The data bear that out. Yes, there are places around the country, Chicago being a good example of that, Louisville being a good example of that. Buckhead being a good example of that. I mean, I think that's it's it's a. I'm not saying you're wrong about Buckhead. What I'm saying is that it gets it gets more coverage and notoriety because it is such a prominent area of Atlanta. But and it wasn't like that five years ago. No, no, I mean, I'm not saying it was. But my my point is, my point is that we we are not looking at record crime. Crime is about half of what it was today, or it's, crime is about half today what it was in 1991. We had the same violent crime rate this, in we, we had the same violent crime rate in 2020 that we had that we had in 2012. Things are not terrible. They're not. Yeah, there's there's more that can be done, but things are not terrible. And you never hear me say that. Yeah, pretty much. You're everything is terrible all the time, kind of guy. And yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, but the the media reporting. I think 
is a result of the actions that have happened, right? We, we can't deny that Buckhead Church had a bullet hole in the side of it. And we can't deny that there were shootings for a while pretty much on the regular at Linux Mall. And these are real events that people are living through, and they weren't happening before. And if if crime is down in Holly Springs, Georgia, that's going to go into your data, right? Holly Springs is among the most safest cities to, to live in, in in the entire country, let alone the state. But that's included in that data set. But we do have some very high-profile things that have happened. Sequoia Turner getting shot and, mm-hmm. and killed because her mother took the wrong turn into a crowd of protesters. You know, these high-profile high things help inform our, our public psyche on, on the criminal issue. And those, as a politician, you cannot sit back and just say, well, crime is, is the lowest it's been in a long time. You're safer today than you were in 1991. You'd, you would get absolutely eaten alive. You would sound like you were disconnected from what, you're, what the average voter is hearing in the media. So the politicians are in a bad spot. If the data is pointing one way and they go back to the voters and say, no, 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 everything's fine. They're going to look like the dog in the meme drinking coffee while the while the building is on fire. And, <laughs> but, and nobody but the, as a politician wants to be that that dog. Nobody. But the th- the thing the thing is, they would be technically right. You're right that <laughs> you're you're right because what the media says, all that stuff. But they are technically right. Am I saying things are swell? No. Am I saying things are? Am I saying crime has has well? If you look at the UCR, crime has gone up. If you look at the National Crime Victimization Survey, crime has gone down. But and so you have you have competing sets of data there. But what I will say is, any politician who wants to continue to address the problems of their criminal justice system, and there are problems with our criminal justice system, it's not you don't. It's not a. It's not a. It's not this duopolistic choice of of going and doing tough on crime policies and doing it or quote-unquote defunding the police you could which is just stupid messaging and whoever said that (laughs) but you you there is another path you could take you could focus the resources that that taxpayers give the government and put those on areas you send police into areas where where violent crimes where there are hot spots of violent crime you could focus in on recidivism reduction second chance initiatives that those things will go a long way to reducing crime. That's that's my two cents. That's what I would say as a politician. Yeah. Buzz. But don't you think that, I mean, don't you think this is fueled? It seems to me this is fueled by a couple of things. First of all, the protests that in the wake of the George Floyd murder that, uh, you know, once it, you know, in many in many major cities, once it was dark, once the sun went down, a different sort of crowd appeared to to do different things other than protest. And they, you know, in various locations, they burned buildings and uh, there were, there were, you know, a handful of deaths. I don't know how many. It wasn't, wasn't like there was mass murder in the streets, but people died as a result of those things. Then you had, so the right wants to, the right just focused on that. The left is almost obsessed with January 6th and that our democracy is at stake. And there's a, a horde of MAGA uh, you know, drooling at the mouth, people ready to just murder people at every length in order to, you know, restore Donald Trump to power. So you've got these, you know, p- political types pushing these things, but then you've also got things where, you, you know, some some kind of 
ill-advised policies that local district attorneys have taken. You've you've seen the video. Social media spreads these videos around of of people walking into drugstores in San Francisco and just filling up a bag and walking out and nobody doing anything. Starbucks in certain places has pulled out because of certain places because they've they don't feel safe there and they're worried about the safety of their employees. So I think there's you know. There's a mismatch going on. If the data is not showing this, if the, if there's not inc- an increase in crime or a negligible increase in crime, something's going. There are things that are happening that are causing people to feel this. I don't. I don't think people are just making this up out of thin air. This feeling. There are things that are happening that are causing them to believe this. Right now in Gwinnett County, for example, we just a couple weeks ago we had a young young man player murdered in front of in front of Discover Mills Mall. Just last week, a tragic situation, a young man snuck out of school and was shot and killed in front of Norcross High School. All of a sudden, heard about that there's, a, there's a series of meetings with school officials trying to calm parents down and say, hey, you know, we, we got this. And the police are going to be there. Our police chief, Chief McClure, is going to be there and they're going to address it. So, you know, I think that people people are fearful there's some ev- reasons for them to be fearful, I think, even if it's not reflected in the data that you're looking at, Jason. So, but, so that is a challenge for policymakers. What do we do when the election's over and we can act, and people actually have to govern? You know, what do we do? How do we address these things that are causing concern to people without, you know, as as you know, as as a guy, a criminal justice reform-minded person like I know you two guys are, how do we? address these problems that people are that we're actually seeing without undoing some of the good things that have been done in recent years across in Georgia and Texas and other places to to get people out of the criminal justice system and back into being productive members of society so that's going to be a big challenge yeah that's a post election conversation i think but because yeah. we do have to move on because I actually do have a list of things to talk about today and, and I've gotten <laughs> s- sidetracked. So I'm trying to figure out where to where to start here. Let's start with our good friend, Stacey Abrams. Buzz, I, I urge you to watch your language during this uh, part of the podcast. Um, Potty mouth. So Stacey Abrams, <laughs> Stacey Abrams. There's a there's a way you can tell candidates know they're going to lose. I, I you know Elaine Loria in Virginia's second congressional district is running an ad right now that basically says if you think the election was stolen, don't vote for me. You know and so on and so forth. And and that's like that's how, that's how you know you're gonna lose. That's how she's like I I know I'm losing and I'm just gonna say this to get it off my chest. With Stacey Abrams, she put out a statement the a couple of days ago actually in in which she she essentially said that sheriffs want to lock up black people and she said that during the debate yeah i didn't watch the debate so well i i i I saw the highlights of the debate i didn't watch the whole debate but she put out she put this statement out and this this statement was probably one of the more insane things i've ever seen and i thought i had it in our text there but i don't but i was going to read it but you know she she talked about how brian kemp has been endorsed by more than 100 sheriffs and you know you know, I, I think that was a signal of her saying, I'm going to lose. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I floated this theory out in our last meeting, our last our last discussion. And and now I'm seeing lots of people talking about it. I'm not saying I'm, I'm the only one who came up with that conclusion. But, yeah, she, she's acting, acting like a person who is trying to set up 
what's next. And what's next is not going to be in the governor's mansion and probably not in the White House either. So how does she make money and how does she earn a living? How does she continue to generate revenue for this operation that she has set up? And, you know, play, playing to a certain crowd that is angry with the police, that's one way to do it. You know, that's one way to do yeah. it. Taking the hardest stance you can take on abortion, that's another way to do it. That'll get you money and invitations to speak to certain groups. And that sure seems like what she's doing. So. Yeah. Scott? During the debate, it came at this moment where Brian Kemp was was touting the fact that he's been endorsed by 107 sheriffs. Now, let's talk about that for just a second before I, I read you the quote from how she responded to it. The sheriff in Georgia is the most popular elected human being in every county. They are politically the most powerful elected official in your local area. My, my sheriff gets reelected with more votes than anybody else in our county, and that is true of every single county in Georgia. If you're an elected official, you don't want to go up against your sheriff politically you're on the wrong end of that debate, whether you're right or not, the sheriff is going to win. They're, they are beloved. They are viewed as a cross between Superman and John Wayne. They they are just <laughs> beloved. So when, when Brian Kemp touted that, he was leveraging that fact and trying to say, look, I've been endorsed by 107 sheriffs. Not one person has endorsed, not one sheriff has endorsed Stacey Abrams. And as a matter of fact, she has made claims in the past that she wants to defund the police. And her reaction to it was this. I'm going to read it to the exact quote. She said, I'm not a member of the good old boys club. So, no, I don't have 107 sheriffs who want to be able to take black people off the streets who want to be able to go without accountability. <laughs> and that was her answer to the fact that she has not received a single sheriff's endorsement <laughs> in, from any county within Georgia. I don't know if there is more radical. Look, I know this just term radical gets thrown around and what have you. I can't think of an example where it was actually real more than this one. <laughs> right. I mean, you have basically accused sheriffs of simply existing to take black people off the streets. That's what they want to do. And, and the sheriffs had a very predictable reaction. Jimmy McDuffie is the, is the, is a sheriff who is the head, the president of the Georgia Sheriff's Association. And he said, Stacey Abrams comments about Georgia sheriffs and Sunday night's debate are exactly the type of false demoralizing and offensive accusations that have driven good men and women away from the law enforcement profession. We are in a, in a time period where it's hard to recruit police officers. And if we were to have a chief executive in our state who articulates the position that, oh, well, I'm not a member of the good old, boy, good old boys club. And that's why, you know, they don't want me because I'll make sure they're not out there locking up black people. <laughs> that's ridiculous. It's just why would she say that if, if not to give complete endorsement to Buzz's theory that she's just trying to set up what's next and it's going to be yeah. some sort of left – Grift. Accus activist grift, yeah. which she has shown herself to to be very proficient through fair fight action, as an example. But there, but there are, okay, so there's 107 sheriffs endorsed Brian Kemp. There are 159 counties in this state, which means there are 52 sheriffs who have not endorsed Brian Kemp. Why didn't mm -hmm. she go and try to, you know, there's Democratic sheriffs. My, my sheriff, Kibo Taylor, is a Democrat. I'm sure the Democrat... 
you know, the, the, and I bet your sheriff County. votes for Brian Kemp. <laughs> he might. He might. I don't know what he's. I don't know what he's doing. But she has. But she hasn't even attempted to reach out to, uh, to those folks, or or at least has been un- unable to secure their their endorsement of of Democrats who are sheriffs. Yeah. They, they do exist. If I'm being attacked, if I'm being attacked as not having one sheriff, I'm going to the Gwinnett County Sheriff saying, I need yeah. you to stand with me now, right? But yeah. nobody's coming forward. Not one of them right. is coming forward to say, Stacey Abrams is the future of Georgia. Not one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, she's, and Abrams is also getting a pass from the media, which this, you know, this kind of boggles my mind. She's getting, she's, she's going to lose and she's getting a pass on her push for Medicaid expansion as well as Atlanta Medical Center and the criticism she's been throwing at Brian Kemp over that. And of course we've had our, our own coverage of the, the sort of issues with Atlanta, Atlanta Medical Center from our, our contributor, I think grumpy old man is his, is, is his name, uh, but it's not one of us. Yeah. It's not one of us. Um, I don't yeah. use the phrase dose of salts like through a, a widow woman as part of my normal vernacular. I had to look it up. <laughs> I had to but, look it up. But I mean, what, but what the me, the media giving her a pass on these things. And, and, and uh, once again, I'll, I'll, I think this needs to be said, Medicaid expansion will cost Georgia money. And it, it's, this is not, this is not free money that we're going to get from the federal government. Yeah, I think at at some point, 90% of it, it's 90% matching funds, 10% Georgia will have to come up with, but it's, it's not free and taxpayers will have to, to, to pay for some of that. And that's assuming the formula for Medicaid FMAP doesn't change at some point in, in the future because Medicaid does not have a dedicated funding source. It's not like social security or even Medicare part B of the hospital insurance program. It has, it's at some point some very tough choices are going to have to be made and at some point the gravy train will 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 run out or at least be be reduced so what's your theory scott on why the media at this stage is giving her a pass they're lazy that's the number one reason they're completely and totally lazy they've not dug into the the why and the how of Wellstar's decision to close Atlanta Medical Center. And if you want to catch up to speed on this issue, this is something you're really interested in. There is no better coverage I have found anywhere that explains in detail and the granularity and and the nerdy level and gets into the weeds on, on how this decision was arrived at than what you will find at Peach Pundit and the post by the grumpy old man. So shout out to the grumpy old man. I'm honored and that he's decided to use us as his platform to get the word out. His his writings are compelling. The argument that he makes asks forces the reader to ask more questions. And he points to a couple of different things about the closure of Atlanta Medical Center that are, are vitally important. And the first that you have to understand is that Wellstar, as an organization, is a nonprofit. They get tax breaks. They get all kinds of benefit from from being a nonprofit, and they're supposed to be run as a nonprofit. They're not supposed to be making bank every single year, and they are, to the tune of two point six or seven billion dollars that they have in cash reserves. They claim that Atlanta Medical Center lost over a hundred million dollars last year, and that's why they had they were forced to make the decision. But the grumpy old man points out, and this is the lazy on the part of the media for not digging in to find this out that in the run-up 
to the decision to make the closure. They began moving their profitable businesses out of Atlanta Medical Center that could have made up the difference in the, their profitability model to other facilities because Wellstar is gigantic in Atlanta. They can move things like MRIs and those types of services, imaging, orthopedics, to other facilities under their network and show bigger profits at those facilities as opposed to at Atlanta Medical Center. So overall, they made hundreds of millions of dollars last year. And when you combine all of the services that they offer to everybody, and they had the money to pay for it. We're talking about even if they're, even if their reporting is accurate, which is not in line with their public documents that they have to file. But if they're claiming they lost over $100 million is true, that's less than, than 5%. It's around 4% of their cash reserves. They have the money to keep it open. They chose not to. They have the money. They chose not to keep that facility open. And they did some things running up to it, like the, the moving of those services that really call into question why they did it. And so the city, and, and furthermore, they blindsided both the city. Andre Dickens had no idea this was coming, the mayor of Atlanta. The, the governor had no idea this was coming. They, they just blindsided everybody. They never gave anybody an opportunity to dive in and say, we can offer some emergency help. We can do some sort of, of taxpayer subsidy here. They never offered any of that. They simply made the announcement that they're closing it. And, it, and the timing was right before an election. So that also... You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I don't, I don't know that that was what was driving it. But they are not very big fans of things that are happening in the legislature. And so now we're going to have a big debate coming up in 2023 about certificate of need, which is a whole other thing. And the, the grumpy old man promises me he's going to go into that as well as compensation. So we'll have more articles on peachpundit.com regarding the closure of Atlanta Medical Center and the fallout. So please stay tuned. Please read and share the information because the media is not telling you because they're lazy. Buzz, Buzz Scott just said something that I want to circle back on. He just said, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but is Scott a conspiracy, <laughs> conspiracy theorist? <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far, but he, you know, you can, you can embrace, <laughs> you can embrace some conspiracies and not be a conspiracy theorist. And sometimes there are conspiracies. And so this might be a case. Where, uh, listen, where listen it's not where... it's not a conspiracy if they actually are out to get you. I'm just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah. I think you want to add, Buzz. No, that, I think that you know the coverage at peachpunter.com has been excellent, and Scott's right. It's, it's stuff you're not seeing anywhere else, and I, I, I am shocked that nobody else, no reporter in this town, in TV or in print, has picked up the phone to call somebody and say, hey, what about this? Answer these questions for me. I'm, I'm kind of surprised yeah. that that hasn't happened. Scott? Right, one more point to make, and, and that's, that's you know, expansion, expansion of Medicaid is designed to give Wellstar more money in this case, right? That's the argument that Stacey Abrams is making. How is giving them more money going to help if they have the money already? It, yeah. It, <laughs> it's pure politics on her part. It, it wouldn't actually help. The system doesn't want the hospital to be open. They want to be rid of it. And they don't actually, Grady at one point offered to buy it, but they wouldn't sell it to them. And that's telling as well. So yeah. they have other plans for that facility. And the mayor of Atlanta weighed in and the city council put an emergency ordinance in place in a moratorium on redevelopment of that facility 
is saying that only a hospital can be here for the foreseeable future. So they, they locked they locked Wellstar into owning a facility that they cannot use for anything other than being a hospital. So they cannot sell it right now for redevelopment. And I think that that's going to have some sort of impact yet to be seen, but but yeah. it's there. And I thought it was a deft move on, on behalf of Mayor Dickens and kudos to him for reacting that way. Yeah. He's trying to protect his community. You know, he's trying to protect his citizens. <laughs> right. Moving over to another race, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about Herschel Walker and, well, we've talked a lot about Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. And, you know, I, I think there's some discussion probably worth having about the totality of the race, which is it appears that that Walker is catching up to and in some polls even surpassing the Atlanta Journal-Constitution had Walker up by one. And I haven't looked at the polls in that specific race in a couple of days, but I did see the AJC poll on Monday. And there is, I think the last time we talked, it was, it was well, you know, Walker could win this thing outright. Or Warnock, you know, it does appear that Warnock has a ceiling. Walker could win this thing outright come come Monday or Tuesday, or he could go to a runoff. Do you guys see one of those scenarios scenarios developing, like winning it outright versus runoff? Buzz. Yeah, I, I do. I think you know. Look, I don't I don't know what the number what the threshold would be, but I mean, the ticket splitting is a real thing in this race. We we've seen it. We've talked about it repeatedly it's a real thing there are there are going there are kemp warnock voters out there there are people who's who are not sold on either one which is why i you know i've 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 thought that chase oliver is going to get more votes than the libertarian typically typically gets and some polling is showing that if kemp really wins you know the the real clear average right now for kemp is like 7.6 point lead over abrams if if that ends up being true, if he really wins by seven, eight, nine points, at some point that that threshold becomes you know that that lead that he has trickles down to or tri- up in this case up on the ballot. Since Walker will be the first, the Senate race will be the first on the ballot. It trickles up and gives Walker a real chance to win this thing outright. The RCP average right now for Walker is up one point six points. So he does have a chance to win. And I think if Kemp has a really good night, if turnout continues to be strong and things go the way things appear to be going and Kemp wins with a solid win like that in the seven, eight, nine point range or so, Walker could win this thing outright. Yeah. And, and looking at Scott real fast, the, the last the last five polls four of those have walker ahead now three three of those are from pollsters that i don't consider great that's insider advantage mm-hmm. rasmussen and trafalgar the ajc has walker up one and the new york times sienna has warnock up three mm-hmm. but uh, you know the one thing i'll note is that the insider advantage poll shows the last time they pulled it was mid-month mid-october they had warnock up two and now they're showing walker up three that's on october 27th so that's a you know 11 day difference and you've you've seen what is effectively a five point swing in that race so to, to buzz's point about the ticket splitting that new york times poll that has warnock up three and that's the only poll that we've seen recently that has warnock ahead that same poll has kemp at 50 and abrams at 45 mm-hmm. so that ticking splitting thing is even uh, evident in that particular poll but right. 
What I'll also say, though, is that neither U.S. Senate candidate in Georgia has been at the 50 percent or greater mark in ages. And so I, I I don't I don't see us getting through this without a runoff. I really don't. I know there are a lot of folks in Republican circles who feel like Walker is is on this cusp of winning this without a runoff. And if his momentum continues, just maybe that's true. Mm -hmm. I I. I just don't think he's going to crack 50% plus one. He may get more votes than, than Warnock in the election on Tuesday, but I, I, none of these polls are showing massive supports for either of these two guys. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's reflective of the candidates that we have to choose from. Very few polls of the of the polls that exist in this race going, according to Real Clear Politics, going back to March, have either candidate or, well, I mean, either can none of them have ever really showed walker with anything higher than 49 percent. but the last poll that had uh warnock over at 50 or over was the wxia survey usa poll that came out the end beginning of october but that poll was showed warnock ahead by 12 that's an outlier but as i said very few polls very few polls show either candidate getting 50 percent of this at all but so yeah i mean, i i i I think it really depends on how well Kemp performs. I also think it depends on this, this the national sentiment in this past week because that's going to trickle down. And if if that, I mean, look, Democrats are running out of time here. And if things <laughs> if things stay as strong as they are, because you're looking at it around the country right now. You know, we came on last week and we said in Arizona that I said, well, you know, Cook Political Report has it rated as lean leans Democrat. The next day they shifted it to top toss up, you know, and you see, obviously we've seen, and, and look, Kelly still holds, he's doing better than Warnock is, but you know, he's, his lead is thin. It's within, inside the margin of error. You look at Pennsylvania where Oz and Fetterman are, are duking it out. That race seems to be trending in Oz's direction. Although Fetterman still has a, a, a small lead in the, the RCP polling average, but there's talk of New Hampshire being in play. Now mm-hmm. you've seen the gap, the gap of between Patty Murray up in Washington and her Republican opponent. That's narrowed. The yes. last poll I saw in that race had it had Murray up only by two, which is yeah. margin of error. Now I don't know who did that poll, but my point is, it, my point is this past week to two weeks has really changed the landscape, and there we could wake up Wednesday morning and Republicans have fifty three seats in the Senate, which I yeah. would, did not think was. I didn't think that was possible. I, I did a scenario, I did some scenarios on like a spreadsheet back at middle of August, maybe. And I said, current trajectory, good night for Dems, good night for Republicans. I have Republicans at 50, 54 on a good night, but they could get 53. And that's a wave, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, that's a wave. And it's because, predominantly because of the economy and just how the economy is doing. You, you're talking about recession, the Fed's response to, well... It's not just the Fed's response. The, the totality of the response going back to during COVID where you're spending all this money and now, you know, you create inflation. Supply chain shortages also created inflation. And then you're, you, the Fed's response to cool off the economy is these interest rates, interest rate hikes. Yeah, you're going to have a bad time. And that's what we're staring yeah. at right now. It's interesting, too, to look at the money where the where the where people are making the decision to spend money and I, I sent you guys the tweet but a fellow named Rob Pyers collected this data that 
Mitch McConnell's Senate Leadership Fund is dumping another 20, 20, almost $21 million in five Senate races. George, so the one, you know, Georgia, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Ohio, and Nevada. You know, Ohio and North Carolina are probably ones that, well, North, North Carolina's a swingy state, but maybe a little less swingy. But so North Carolina and Ohio are probably ones that he's trying to shore up, you know, candidates who might be Republicans who might be in a little more trouble than they should be. But the other three are, I mean, he clearly he's spending those because he thinks he, we can pick those up. And so, you know, it, it's interesting to look at where these guys are spending money because they're reacting to, as you know, as Scott was telling us before the broadcast, Eric Erickson's interview with a guy who does polling for candidates. They spend a lot of money on polling and these pollsters take it very, very seriously. It's very different than the public polling that we see. It's, it's, there's a lot at stake in these polls when you're spending $20 million to support candidates. So that makes me think that Mitch thinks he can pick up those seats. Yeah. And one thing I'll note, I was in North Carolina Thursday, well, Friday morning through Sunday morning and and I was out in the Outer Banks area, and I was kind of surprised because the Outer Banks area typically votes Republican. Ted Budd's the candidate there. I saw a lot of Beasley signs. I saw Bud signs too, but the Beasley signs really probably two to one over the Bud signs. Mm-hmm. But that the talk of that race has even shifted. It looks like Bud's, you know, he doesn't have a huge lead, but he's, you know, three, four points ahead in most polls I've seen. So, you know, but that's a, yeah. that's that's keeping that seat in Republican hands. But that was one of those people a month ago, people were talking about that as a dark horse race to watch if Democrats, you know, were going to have a good night. But you look right. out, you got yeah, you've got keeping that one, possibly keeping Pennsylvania, picking up Nevada, picking up Georgia, potentially picking up Arizona. Yeah, it's 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 not looking good for for Chuck Schumer. Yeah, not looking good. Not it's not looking good at all. But so. Let's talk, but let's talk about the the specific thing with Herschel, which is his his ex girlfriend presumably went on TV, went on Good Morning America, and this is the second accuser, I believe, the one who accuses him of paying for an abortion, and you know she she talked about the experience and the accusation. I don't. This is the one I believe who's represented by Gloria Allred. If yeah, so who I don't really take seriously but that's just me it, the impact of the per, the first allegation which seemed more credible i'm not saying this one's not i just the first one seemed more credible didn't really impact walker that much it, it maybe it did temporarily but he's recovered from it because he we expect him to go into a runoff and potentially win in a runoff scott disagrees with you and me buzz but that's fine scott do you what do you make of this woman telling her story on national television well she went on to say that she felt forced by Herschel. She didn't, she upped the ante in the narrative. It wasn't just he paid for my abortion. She, she augmented her original story to say, I felt forced by him to pay for the abortion and to have the abortion. And that's a new detail, but I think it's gotten lost in the noise of the original set of allegations. And I think that the impact that that story was going to have has already been felt and dealt with. So I don't think it's going to have an impact on people who go in and vote. And I I wrote a piece about this, not specifically this, but the allegations against Herschel, both of these men are flawed in the eyes of voters in Georgia. 
and the policy positions become more important than the allegations from a decade or more ago. And, and when our checking accounts are being dwindled down every month by the higher prices for everything, including, yes, bacon, <laughs> it's harder for the average voter to to look at that and say, that's the reason why I'm going to vote for Raphael Warnock when Warnock's not offering anything to help my checking account stay whole. And and that's, I think, what people are, vo- are focused on here. I don't think that this is going to have any more traction. I think the any mileage that the Warnock campaign was going to get out of these accusations against Herschel Walker has has been spent. It's over. That story is is basically been dealt with in the eyes of the voters. They're they're moving on. And if it is true, I'm going to say this. Okay, I I don't know if it was true or not. And my heart goes out to these women if it was true. Uh, I, I don't know if it was or not. It's unfortunate that they have to now expose their life in a way in order to tell the story on something that was at one point a very deeply personal issue. I can only imagine what that's like. So I want to express the appropriate amount of empathy for their position. But at the same time, I just don't think it matters to the average voter. And and it's not to say that their story doesn't matter. It's just it's not factoring into the calculus that matters to voters when they walk into the voting booth, because both men are flawed. And we know that. Yeah. Buzz. Yeah, it's 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 always a tough thing because you're you you do have to separate the the political views and how you think this this person might vote uh, if they were to become a senator from the person because you can't and it's not an endorsement when you vote for somebody you're not endorsing everything about that person and everything that person has ever done but it is it is hard you know and the totality of the allegation this is what we were concerned about way back when herschel first ran that and these stories started you know started coming out that you know this this guy has a an enormous amount of baggage i i joked in my substack post that i sent out last night that you know, Herschel has enough baggage to, to fill up one of those giant semi-trucks that uh, tractor trailers that UGA uses to haul all their football equipment around to road games. I mean, it's an enormous amount of baggage this guy has, and it, it does get tough. It, 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 is, it is get tough, and that's obviously who these stories are directed at, are, are people who are on the fence and are uncomfortable. But I don't, I don't, I got in a little, I responded a little bit on Twitter to a guy named Charlie Sykes of the Bulwark, who was saying that this is a moral test if you vote for herschel walker you have failed the moral test of 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 being in a productive democracy and i was like wait a minute now wow. you know are we, we what we've got is an abortion perhaps an abortion hypocrite in herschel walker versus an abortion fanatic in doc in in, in pastor warnock and that's i'm not going to hold it against anybody for coming I'm not going to accuse them of moral failure for looking at these two guys and coming down on one side or the other because they think a per- that person is going to better represent their views. And, you know, we sometimes we just have to take our hat off, you know, our our, our moral hat off, unfortunately. I, I would love to be in a world and I want to be in a world. And this is how I vote in the primaries for a person, I think, who represent my values, who also has has solid character. But. These things are tough, and Scott's right. You've got two flawed individuals here, and that's why this race is close. If if Herschel Walker didn't, if Herschel Walker only had half the baggage that he has, he'd probably he'd probably be up 
by a pretty healthy margin and we wouldn't be talking about this so much. Yeah. So going back to just the overall voting side of the equation, as of yesterday, 1.9 million people, 1.947 million people have voted in the 2022 general election. We will probably eclipse, dare I say, I would probably put money on this, that we will eclipse 2 million today. I haven't seen anything indicating that we have, yeah. but I expect us to. Our friend our friend Gabe Sterling tweeted that it, the 2 million mark was, was expected to be eclipsed around lunchtime today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, it's, I mean, guys, that's, that's a lot. And I'm just looking at the numbers here because there's a website, georgiavotes.com. And I, they're probably, you can, I mean, I'm sure you can get this information off the Secretary of State's website as well. But I go to georgiavotes.com because I don't have the time to look around the Secretary of State's website for that. But the one thing yeah. I found the, the most in- interesting about the early vote is the number, uh, is the voting by age. Yeah. <laughs> and you can look at this and just say, Man, Republicans are or Democrats are in trouble. According to according to the numbers from GeorgiaVotes.com, seven point two percent of people who have voted early are between the ages of eighteen and twenty nine. That is, if you're a Democrat in Georgia, sirens have to be going off because you need. I think if if memory serves, exit polls in twenty twenty had something like. 17, 16, 17, 18% of people in that age bracket voting. Mm-hmm. 7.2% for that age bracket. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Buzz, I'll let you take a crack at that first. Yeah. And the, and the flip side of that is that I'm looking at the page right now. Voters between 50 and 64 make up 32.7% of all votes cast thus far, not including today's data. 65 plus, 39%. And so those, you know, that sounds a lot like the Republican base right there. Yeah, (laughs) 70, almost 70. Yeah, almost, well, more than 70%. No, I can't, I can't math. No, it's yeah, it's, 71, almost 72%. 71. Yeah. 71%. the The counterfactual is that, 55.1% 55.1% of votes cast thus far are, are females. Mm-hmm. But then you, you see polling data in recent days that there's been a pretty pretty big swing back to Republicans because of the economy and crime that, that, that a lot of females have swung back to saying, telling pollsters at least, they're going to vote Republican. So, you know, this, this, is, this is what makes it hard to extrapolate a whole lot out of this data because you just don't know what folks are doing when they walk into the voting booth. You can make some assumptions, but you, you might be wrong. <laughs> Scott, what do you make of this statistic? CNN today said that Republicans have a 15-point advantage with suburban white women. Well, that is pretty incredible considering abortion is apparently the number one issue according to be win right? The, the data also, I think, has some some areas that we should be paying attention to as well. African-American turnout is is pretty high for early voting. It represents almost 29.5%, 29.4% of the total early turnout as well. So when you break down those age groups, you got to also consider the other, other demographics. And I've seen some polls that have Kemp hovering around 30% of African-American support in those <laughs> polls, which I question. I mean, yeah. I... I I, when I see the polls and it has Kemp up like uh, by a big margin, you go and look at the cross tabs. It's one of the polls, and I forget which one had him at twenty nine percent among African Americans. I, am I crazy for thinking that that's that seems gigantic 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But the, I am crazy. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But what, what has, what's fascinating about it is maybe not 30%, but well in excess of 15, you know, in the 15 to 20 point range has been a pretty consistent number in uh, several polls, you know, cause yeah, you'd look at, you'd look at that at first and you'd think that's an outlier, but it's, Large numbers like that have been in a num in quite a few polls, so it makes you think that something's happening, that he's going to get higher than number higher than normal you know support from the African American community than Republicans typically get in Georgia. Yeah, the exit polls are going to be yeah. fascinating to watch because we should see exit polls not long after the polls close, if not before. So we should we should have some specific detail and because I and I think we're all gonna be fascinated by what we see. But no, I mean, yeah, I'm I I'm not I hesitate to say I'm looking forward to this election because I'm actually dreading this this election. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to reading the the data that we get from yeah. from news outlets in, in terms of exit polls and nerd like that. no i do nerd out on that <laughs> stuff because I, I i find that i find that stuff super interesting one other thing real fast oh i'd like to make one of... more quick point if i could jason about these numbers i, I think no. i have okay <laughs> go, go ahead <laughs> there's, a, there's a there's a guy named simon rosenberg i, I started following him on twitter a few months ago because uh, i saw an article about him and he's like a lone voice in the wilderness and he continues, he's, you know, got to have your, tip your hat to him. He is, here we are a, less than a week before the election. He is staying right in his lane. And that is that ignore all the polls, ignore all the data that you're seeing. We are witnessing a blue wave. And there's no such thing as a red wave or witnessing a blue wave. And so I just, you know, there, <laughs> there is a, there is a guy out there who's saying that. And, you know, we'll find, you know, we'll find out on election night, but I, he, he he's my hunch is he's he's wrong and everybody else is right <laughs> one thing i think we can all agree on is that regardless of what happens on tuesday night whether it's a red red wave or a blue blue wave or sort of a middle of the road election where not much really happens one party or the other is going to draw the exact wrong conclusions from yes the results <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, it'll either be voter suppression or it was rigged. One of the two things we'll hear <laughs> sometime on Wednesday morning. Hey, I swear to God, it, I will not be surprised if we don't hear the word mandate by the end of the night. Like somebody's, if Republicans <laughs> get a red wave, we're going to hear the term mandate, and it's like you don't have the yes. White House. So, so <laughs> this morning, I, 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 I rushed to text you guys because while sipping my morning coffee, doing some work and watching CNN, I noticed that Brad Raffensperger was was being interviewed on CNN. And they were talking, initially it was, they were talking about SB202. Well, he, he was talking about the Graham, Graham subpoena first because we didn't cover this, but Lindsey Graham, the Supreme Court has denied Lindsey Graham's request to block the subpoena, quash the subpoena in the Atlanta, Fulton, Atlanta DA or the Fulton County DA's investigation to the 2020 election. But... That didn't go on long, super long, and they ended up talking about SB202. And specifically, Ravensburger spent time responding to a lot of Stacey Abrams' criticism, criticisms. And then, and then I, I caught this quote from Don Lemon: "Just because there are, just because there are a record number of people voting, doesn't mean that there aren't." suppressive efforts and he specifically mentioned the drop boxes that we had drop boxes in Georgia in 2020, and that there are fewer drop boxes now. And Don, Lemon can I just highlight that? 
you you can't you cannot step on my toes. Back up, man. I'm not going to step on your toes. I just want to highlight it, right? I mean, Don Lemon's talking to the Secretary of State of Georgia on live TV, CNN, and he says to straight to Brad, I want to make sure I understand this, Jason. Don Lemon tells Brad Raffensperger just because more people are voting doesn't mean there aren't suppressive efforts that is that i can't say for for a fact that that is verbatim what he said but he did say that just because there are more people voting or a record number of people voting doesn't mean there aren't suppressive efforts yes and how did brad well and he he mentioned the drop the drop boxes and 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 raffensperger said that look we didn't have drop boxes before 2020 that was administrative decision we made because of the pandemic and so we basically said now we have one per 100,000 people in in georgia which you know a lot of people didn't even want the drop boxes to begin with and that was one of the sources of criticism of of raffensperger but he he educated him he spent time going through and educating him and you know Someone like Don Lemon already has his opinion baked in the cake, but I will note that Don Don Lemon was recently moved out of prime time and into the early morning. He's now six, I think six a.m. to nine a.m. So, which is like the <laughs> I never wanted to start my mornings off with Don Lemon. I'll just say that much. But <laughs> it's a choice you get to make. Oh, I know I get to make that choice, but I like I like to I like to sit there and drink my coffee and and listen to the news and catch up on what's going on. And I don't like Fox and I don't like MSNBC and CNN's like not awesome, but it's not awful either so there are certain personalities on there who are awful and Don Lemon is one of them but <laughs> but no I mean but but Buzz I know Buzz caught it too so Buzz let me get your two cents yeah I thought Brad did did a good job of swatting those things away you know Abrams he was also asked about you know Abrams is alleging that you know what you folks pointed out that voter suppression still exists even in high turnout and he said well that's just silly you know, we continue to have the last several elections. We've seen you know, record turnout. We're going to we probably won't match 2020 turnout, but it's going to be it's going to be a lot closer to that than than we had in 20, 2018 turnout. So it's going to be another astounding level of turnout. And I, I just don't know how you can credibly make the claim that that there is a massive you know voter suppression going on and you, any more than you make the claim there's massive voter fraud going on we've got a secure system that's that makes it easy for most people to vote and we need to continue working on all those things but yeah i thought brad did a good job he swatted those things away and the hosts even you know don lemon aside the hosts seemed pretty pretty pleased with how the interview with brad raffensberger went so scott you may now you may now lose your your mind well, I, I just think Don Lemon's a, a, a political activist charading himself as a, an anchor on a major news network. And there's nothing you would be able to say to convince him that his narrative is false. You can provide data to him, and he's just going to justify it away by saying, well, just because more more people are voting and it's easier to vote in Georgia and minority turnout is at a record high for early voting in Georgia, that doesn't mean that you guys don't want the minorities down there to vote. It's just dumb. It's just so yeah. dumb. Like, there, you cannot you – cannot, legitimately make an argument like that without pointing to specific examples and the fair fight action lawsuit they brought some people into court to say you know these are our examples and the judge said "Mm, no 
the the law did not prevent them from voting. They they their votes were not suppressed because of the law. And SB two hundred two is no different in this regard. And again, I, I've been saying this for weeks now. It is time to retire the lie that SB two hundred two was designed to suppress votes. It wasn't. And we're seeing the effect of SB two hundred two right now. Two million people have already early voted. Don Lemon is dumb. Nobody should be listening to that guy. He's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, t tell me how you really feel, Scott. But did I mention that Don Lemon's dumb? Because that's how I really feel. <laughs> All right. All right. No. So one thing Buzz Buzz also caught in your list in your series of texts today is that the DCCC and House Majority Pack are spending money in Georgia's second congressional district. That Sanford yeah. Bishop is is running there, uh, running for re-election. God, he has been in that seat for I don't even know thirty how long. years. 30 years. years. So, and then he's Since running the against nativity, right? Yeah, he is. He, he has been there a while. He is running against Chris West, who's the Republican nominee. Republicans aren't really spending a ton of money. I think there are our committees and outside groups that are or outside packs, $69,201. That's the spending on him. So Republicans aren't really spending that much money here in that right. race. But Democrats are dropping in a pretty substantial amount of money. Three, mil, three million in buys. Well, it looks no more than that. Six. Five six, million. Five million. Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, it's this yeah. thing is this this is like a spreadsheet and it's like I'm looking at an image so I'm zoomed in and I can't really it's catch hard to everything. Read. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to read. But so they're taking that seriously and I do know that that there has been some national attention on that race. I think McCarthy did a fundraiser for West mm -hmm. recently. I don't remember exactly when. So that means look, Biden won that seat by 10 points. You know, it yeah. maybe we shouldn't jump jump to conclusions here, but at the same time Bishop's been off and on in trouble for a while. I mean, this is not the first cycle where they've had to spend money to come in and protect him. But I don't think anybody thought this seat was was really up for up for grabs. But it appears it appears it might it it may be possibly could be. So I, I I've been saying this for months now that Chris West is a very compelling candidate. He he. Looks good on TV. He's well-spoken. He's been out in the community working very hard on his campaign. And I've been saying this for a long time, that we should have, as a party, we should have been investing in his candidacy, if nothing else, to drive turnout for other races in that area. Because he he has the best shot in a long time to knock Bishop off, I think. I don't know that he'll win because the resources weren't there early enough. But in a red wave scenario, you know, who knows what's going to happen? I don't think he'll win. I think it'll be way closer. And I think we'll have some some folks kind of saying, oh, shucks, maybe we should have done something more there. But, you know, I've been talking about Chris West here for a long time. And and mm -hmm. because the the incumbent has been there since the nativity, it's it's hard to knock off an incumbent like that. Right. So, oh. uh, you know, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting one to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's what's interesting about Sanford Bishop he's he's survived waves before and that's what makes me think all mm -hmm. right you know that he, he he probably will survive this one again but there's not a lot of polls I only find real clear has two polls the latest one being well both taken almost at the same time so October 17th was the last time there was a poll in, you know our y'all's favorite pollsters Trafalgar group and insider advantage and they both show Bishop by Trafalgar had Bishop by four, Insider Advantage Bishop by three. Not a lot of polling, public polling at least on that. But the 
I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. You know, you, you're looking at where people are spending money. The fact that the Democrats are pouring a bunch more money into this race all of a sudden makes you think that they're a little worried. I also it. want to talk. And, uh, one of the one of the things that I find also super stupid on the for well, this is this is bad for Georgia, but it's also super stupid on the on the part of Democrats, House Democrats. Um, the 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 current chair of the House Agriculture Committee is Congressman David Scott, Georgia's 13th congressional district. The current chair of the House Appropriation Agriculture Appropriation Subcommittee, and ag fits in with other agencies, is Sanford Bishop. So Bishop could lose, so Georgia loses influence on... I mean, he, it's, I think it's unlikely he loses, but Georgia loses, inf, loses influence on the appropriation side. And David Scott has had some health problems recently, so who knows how much longer he's going to be around. Right. I don't mean that to sound ominous as it came across. I mean, he, he may leave earlier, you know, or something, God forbid, something worse. But Georgia might lose some influence there and it, it, with an indus- for an industry that's very important to the state as well. Yeah, no doubt. So No doubt. But uh, I, do think, I do think it is, you know, folks should, I think on election night, Georgia 2 suddenly is one that people should pay attention to. If it's, if they can't call it quickly, if it's, if it's close, or even if, if Chris West pulls off, pulls off the upset, that's probably a sign it's going to be a really good night for the GOP. Yeah, I've got to put together a list of, of districts I'm going to be watching on Tuesday night, both national and, and in Georgia as well, and as well as a few state legislative races in, in Georgia. Because in Virginia, we don't have state legislative races this year. When I went yeah. and voted, I had, two, I had two things on my ballot. That's it. Congress and a ballot question. And that's it. That was... <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's all the time we have this week. I've I, this week, guys. I've seen your faces for far too long tonight. Buzz, I just want to I want to applaud you and and for starting your recovery. Thank you for not using any yeah. profanity and or anything like that. And Scott, you I, have your I, finger it raised. It was hard. It was really hard, but I I did. I made it through. That's what she said, Scott. Ching. I just want to thank our Patreon sponsors. We have several new guys who signed up to be Patreons. And Andrew Smith has actually joined us here in the studio Hi, to Andrew. watch this live. He got all Andrew. of the all of the pre-show and he'll get whatever's left over in the in the post-show. Spoiler alert, there's a lot more pre-show. But thank you, Andrew, for signing up at the $10 level. We appreciate you. We have an anonymous $10 supporter who signed up. So thank you to that anonymous person. Andy Allen, Bo Brannon, Ryan Graham, Hunter Burnett, John Vestal, Brant Frost, Reed Powell, Benjamin Hurst, and Sam Thomas. Thank you all. You are helping to make this possible, and we appreciate every single one of you. If you, too, would like to be a financial contributor to this podcast, we just ask you to go over to patreon.com slash peachpundit. Sign up. We're still looking for our, our first person to ever receive a, a t-shirt with one of our faces on it. The moment that happens, you will get tons of kudos and you will look very stylish walking around Linux mall, trying not to get shot. Next time, <laughs> next time I do a podcast from, from Reston, I will have Rob, my Reston roommate model the pick the shirt with my face on it because it's, it's quite fantastic. He, I gave him one of them. It is. So, okay. Well, uh, on that note, I, I will see all. 
No, it's not. It's not creepy at all. I, on that note, I will. I will say. I'm gonna say bye eventually. But the one thing I did want to note before we left was uh, we were gonna try to do something on Tuesday night. We don't know where we're gonna do it yet. Possibly YouTube. Just a live stream of election results. We'll make sure that gets tweeted out and posted on Facebook, and that way people who want to watch it can watch it. So hopefully you made it all the way to the end of this week's episode, and you know that we're gonna be doing this. So or we might be doing this, but we'll make sure we get we'll give everybody a heads up because. I think I'm just going to be sitting and watching results in my office. So, yeah, fun times. But yeah. other than that, peace out. Have a good rest of your week. Go dogs. Later, guys.